a legendary but lonely hero learns to value love and friendship more than his life. Are you just watching episode 136, Puss and Boots, The Last Wish? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we're talking about a kids movie. We're back in the PG realm, which is good because as one of our valued listeners, Warren, pointed out to us in December, it's been a long time since we've done a PG movie. (laughs) So it was time. And to be honest, Push Some Boots actually looked really good to me when I first saw the trailer for it. I was like, oh, that looks like fun. And it came out around Christmas time. It's, I think, still in theaters even now, though we are recording this kind of late. I just went to see it, not I think last weekend. So it's remained in theaters for a few weeks, which is nice. And I think it's a it's it's kind of interesting because I was thinking about before we even set up to record and we're prepping that this is a sequel to a sequel, which is a sequel to another movie, which is <laughs> it's kind of I like s- this long line of sequels. I would say it's a sequel to a spinoff from a sequel to a of another sequel. No, wait. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, and there is amazingly, for a short kids movie, an amazing amount of material to discuss in this. So I don't want to spend a ton of time introing into this. I will tell you that our discussion will have spoilers. So after we get past, you know, our first impressions, if you haven't seen the movie, I would recommend that you shut this off and come back to it after you've seen the movie so we don't spoil it. And before we get into what we liked and disliked about the movie in general, I do want to mention that the score is by Heitor Pereira, which I think is a, is he's actually Brazilian, not Spanish. Oh, no. But he created a very lovely Latin influence score, which if you just pull it up on YouTube and listen to it is very entertaining. It goes from soft and romantic and Latin-y to like synthesized pop with the Latin influences. So it's kind of got that fun vibe, almost Mm. laced through the whole thing. Really fun to listen to. And I think it really helped set the mood for the movie overall, because it seems like every single scene in the movie has its own score. (laughs) So it works really out really well. Yeah, the idea of mixing synthesized music with the pop music and the Latin music is right in line with the animation style, because the they mix the animation style depending upon what's on the screen. Mm, yeah. And uh, particularly uh, the action scenes have this sort of surrealism, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and putting the, the synthesis in there makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Well, let me play a l- little bit of one of them because I can't, like, sample the whole thing because, like I said, it really covers the gamut. But I'll play a little bit of the score here for you right now. say I was pretty entertained by this movie. I have only seen it once, so any errors that come out of this discussion are because both of us only saw it once, but we will Mm. do our best to 
be as accurate as possible as we talk about this movie. It is what I would consider a typical animated film for children, but it does contain adult humor, which I think is they put that in there for the adults. And, and when I yeah. when I say adult humor, I don't mean like X-rated adult. I mean, just like <laughs> on the level of adult so that, you know, yeah. the adults who are watching the movie can enjoy stuff that's privately for them and it goes right over the kids' heads. That is really a, an, an art form in and of itself. Right. To and it's a lot harder to do now that the kids are growing up so much quicker. Right. There is one scene in the movie that I think could be classified as a grooming scene, which kind of bothered me more after I saw the movie than when I watched it the first time. I don't think I it really hit me that it was a problem until I thought about it later. So it was kind of like when I was... I didn't catch this one. Which one was it? Okay, so there's a scene where Perito, the little dog, is mm -hmm. encouraging Puss in Boots to rub his belly to make him feel better. So not make Perito feel better, but to make Puss in Boots feel better. Right. Because he's the therapy wanting, dog he wants thing. to be a therapy dog. Which is all well and good. Rubbing the belly of a dog is not an issue. But when you have talking animals in a movie geared towards children, the children are supposed to be identifying themselves with the animals that are on the screen. Uh. So when you have a little dog who is being identified with as a child, telling people to rub his belly to make them feel better. Mm -hmm. that, okay, I, I can see. That kind of, you know, it wasn't like completely inappropriate in that I was sitting there in the movie going, ooh, this is grooming. It gives me bad vibes. Mm -hmm. It was more like after the, I was just sitting there and really thinking about my notes and what happened. Yeah. I was just like, you know, if a little kid was identifying with Perito in the movie, and then he thinks that having other people rub his belly makes them feel better, that's inappropriate touching. And mm. I mean, I understand that he's a dog and Puss is a cat. Yeah. I and understand he aspires that. to be a therapy dog specifically. But with all of the grooming that's going around with, you know, minor attracted people. Yeah. That did kind of come across as grooming to me. So slightly, I mean, I'm not like labeling this a grooming movie, but mm. it's a scene that gives me concern. Let's put it that way. I don't think I had even heard the term grooming until I actually saw it in a Babylon Bee article. Mm. And then I noticed it later with the whole Ezra Miller, the kid who played the Flash in DC. He was accused of it too. And, and I didn't even know it was a thing before, you know, before any of that. Yeah, it's becoming unfortunately more and more of a thing. There's just a, a lot of child facing things that kind of set them yeah. up to being touched inappropriately and not telling other people about it and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what grooming is, is basically normalizing the kind of behavior towards children that children should be scared of and should go and I'd run and tell their parents about if it happens. When my kids were little enough to be held and they were you know, they had skinned their knee or they weren't feeling well or something. Rub my back, daddy, was something I heard all the time. But, mm -hmm. you know, that made them feel better. That right. made me feel better, too. I mean, as a parent, it really mm -hmm. is a very rewarding thing to know that you you can make your child feel better just with physical touch. 
Right. I hope that we're just more sensitive to the idea of grooming now and that the animators didn't have any intent in it. Yeah, and to Puss's credit, he didn't take Perito up on that. So mm -hmm. it wasn't something that, you know, oh, let me rub your belly so I can feel better kind of thing. Yeah. It was Perito's suggestion and it wasn't taken up on. But mm -hmm. I just think, you know, I people are so sensitive to it now. I wanted to raise that concern that I saw that in there. Yeah, yeah. To me, it was not like a big, massive red flag, but it was something that kind of bothered me after the fact mm -hmm. when I thought about it more. But uh, other than that, the only other scenes that I can think of that were possibly inappropriate would be, you know, Puss is going into the bar and ordering milk. He does it in a way as if he's ordering beer, like, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> a bar scene. So I'm sure that kids see that all the time on TV, but it's still for the age group that this is pointed at. I think it's a little bit inappropriate to have a bar scene. I would point out that in, in non-American cultures, mm -hmm. bars are not so strictly adult associated. True. That is true. When we lived in Germany, we made jokes about the they didn't have a drinking age. They had a drinking height. You just had to reach the bar. <laughs> but it wasn't really that way. But, you know, the the pub in England or the bar in Germany, it was a social center first where drinking happened, <laughs> not a place to go get drunk. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I understand that, I, I sort that of too. feel like that's this way, too. Sort of like yeah. in the Disney movie Encanto they did this whole thing about, and that's why coffee is not for children. But in actuality, <laughs> in the South American culture, children drink coffee all the time. But yeah, it, I guess my only point there is that we may be putting our own cultural perspective on that. And Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is primarily an American release. So it's it's not inappropriate Yeah, to do so. Yeah. And, you know, some of the fears that he has in this movie are very adult fears, but I could understand under certain circumstances, children, you know, fearing death. But yeah, I think a lot of this movie is more adult oriented than children oriented. It's just presented in a fun, entertaining way. Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily call this a kid's movie overall. I mean, there's it's definitely something you could take kids to and they would be entertained by it. But mm -hmm. as we get into the theme discussion, you'll find out there is a lot in this movie that has a very adult Deeper. level. Yeah. 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 Themes to discuss. So there is a lot in this movie. And of course, the last thing I my first impression of the movie was I was very <laughs> insulted by Mama Luna. They present her as the crazy cat lady. I'm a crazy cat lady. I have two cats and I have lots of litter boxes and they get cleaned regularly. Mm. And anybody who has more than, I would say, four or five cats in a house is not mm -hmm. a, a crazy cat lady. She's an animal hoarder. <laughs> yeah. And that is a serious mental condition and she needs to get help, especially if she only has one litter box for all those cats. That was annoying to me. I think they named her Mama Luna because they couldn't name her Mama Looney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the crazy cat lady is a, a go-to comedy shtick. Right. But even I felt like this was way overboard. Yeah. Yeah. But they were going for way overboard. I mean. Yeah. That's, yeah. There had to have been 300 <laughs> cats there. Yeah. <laughs> 
And and every time she answered the door, she's like, are you from the health department? I don't have any cats here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have actually watched uh, the Animal Planet. I think it is. They have a, a show called, or maybe it's Nat Geo. I forgot which streaming service I watched it on. But they had a program called Animal Hoarders. And each oh. each episode dealt with somebody who hoarded animals in their living area. And they almost mm. all have really good hearts. They always wanted to protect the animals. They don't want to give them to the shelters because they'll get killed or whatever. And in every single occasion, because they had so many animals, they were all sick. They weren't getting seen by the vet. They weren't mm-hmm. getting their vaccinations. They weren't getting adequate nutrition. And they were living in filthy conditions that made them sick. And it was just like, you can have the best of intentions, but if you have more than you can properly care for in a living space, then you need help. <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the mental illness part of, of hoarding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your cats can pile up and fall on you and possibly smother you, then you have too many cats. <laughs> yep. So I really enjoy the animation style here, particularly how they switch back and forth between the traditional DreamWorks animation style, and then you see the influence of the style that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse brought, where it goes surrealistic and the edges become sharper, and they actually lower the frame rate in the action scenes to make it feel more jarring, mm-hmm. which I am surprised by how well that works in this particular film, because, you know, there are actually a lot of action scenes mm-hmm. in here. It really had a nice, powerful effect. And I hope they continue doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it worked really well. Yeah, they definitely did in the movie with the idea that there were going to be more adventures with Shrek coming up. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. In particular, I like animation movies because you don't have to work so hard to get the moral of the story. They can really turn up the moral of the story potency by making it non-human characters Mm -hmm. or by setting it in a fantasy world where dragons and donkeys can somehow procreate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And animals talk. (laughs) Yes. Obviously, the dragon and donkey thing has always messed with my head, but that's beside the point. (laughs) It's easier to couch more potent morals in anthropomorphized animation movies. And this one, The Wolf in particular, even though the twist at the end was broadcast from the very beginning, they still did a good job with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those cases where the adults recognized it for what it was. And the kids at the end were like, oh, (laughs) yeah, but it was still rewarding to both because it was so well done with the presentation style. Right. My last first impression is that I just finished a two week visit with my 80 year old mother. Mm hmm. She had come down from where she lives in Maine to spend two weeks with us down here in Virginia. And we talked about death fairly frequently. My dad had died. Uh, I guess it's going on. Uh, well, I guess it's going on five years ago now. And she's been living in a, an apartment in my brother's house. And she has been suffering from 
multiple sclerosis for 30, more than 30 years, Mm. 40 years. And Parkinson's for the last 10 or 15. And she's got really bad rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, she, she feels like she spends her time waking up and going from doctor's office to doctor's office. And she's, she's ready to die and go be with Jesus. And at one point she said, I better hurry up and die because I'm going to be bedridden before too long. And that had me thinking, thinking about death. And on top of the fact that my mom had come down here, the impetus for my mom to travel was that her brother, who was 11 years younger than her, died last October. And we just had the celebration for life. And while she was down here, she met with my pastor and, and she was saying that she didn't think that Les, her brother, was saved. And that had us all thinking about how death is different for Christians than it is for others. Yeah. So your idea for doing this movie and the the morals of this movie, the, the themes, just came at the right time. Yeah. Probably providentially. Actually, definitely providentially, because nothing <laughs> happens outside of God's will and providence. Exactly. Yeah. So those were my first impressions. Before we move into our thematic discussion, I do want to remind everybody that our podcast is listener-supported. I want to thank our patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who are giving to us on a generous monthly basis. You can also give to us by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. They both go to the same place. And give us a small monthly gift to help support what we do in this podcast. We are not one of those big money-making ones that are ad-supported on YouTube or something like that. This is our only means of support, and we try to be very careful with how we use that, pay for web hosting and all that kind of stuff. So we appreciate our patrons and if you would please consider supporting us i would say the biggest thing in this movie that basically is around you know the last wish well there's two big things but we're going to deal with the first one first Mm. is the fact that a person's perspective influences their walk and i think that that is a very christian a mm. way of looking at things. And it's very interesting to see it so expressively presented <laughs> in, yeah. in this movie because the first, I would say, third of the movie is them trying to get the secret map that has been found that will get take the holder of the map to the fallen star that gives you The Last Witch, the title of the movie, The Last Wish. Once they get the map, everybody who holds the map has a different route to get to the last wish. And that route usually has something to do with what they're wishing for and their reasons, their motivations for that wish. There's something about that path that is reliant on... The path is tailored to the motivations and desires of the person who's holding the map. I do want to stress that it's tailored in such a way that it is clear that following the map will provide a personal growth to that character right that is needed to improve them right (laughs) and i think perspective matters is probably the best way to put this because every person who takes hold of the map has a different wish 
and a different perspective on their living that motivates what they're wishing for. And so that is heavily influenced by the character themselves. And the biggest one, obviously, is Puss in Boots, because he is motivated by the fact that he's used up eight of his nine lives, and he is terrified of death. Mm. And because he is a legend and a hero who has put that legend above every interpersonal relationship he's ever had, he's lonely, and he's scared, and he has nobody to turn to. And so you basically see somebody who has put selfishness and self-centeredness on a pedestal and, mm-hmm. and lived with that for his entire life. And so his last wish is all about, you know, preserving that legend that he's always had. And the path that he has to walk is forcing him to come face to face with the fact that that legend is somebody that he really doesn't want to be anymore. Yeah. And that's an amazing character arc, to be honest. Yeah, it really is. I really appreciated the map and how it tailors itself to each of the characters, particularly Mm -hmm. when Perito looked at it. And, you know, Perito is stereotypical in as much as he is the overly simple sidekick or comic foil that that comes along right on the adventure but when he puts his paw on the map it's all rainbows and unicorns literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah stop and smell the roses and and then on on top of that it's so the map changes the names of the locations of the map change and the en- environment changes to match the map right Mm-hmm. So yeah. when Puss puts his, his paw on it, everything around him changes to lava and volcanoes and, and like that. And and when Kitty Softpaws does it, it, it turns into swamp and, you know, pitfalls everywhere. When Perito does it, it's it wasn't there was like a lazy river of no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> I think was the name of it or something like that. Yeah. The Valley of Posies or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> they think, well, let's get around this and have Perito set the reality that we're walking through. And then it'll be smooth sailing. But then they end up, as they get to each one of these... Turning chal- into an obstacle. What would have been challenging area... Obstacles, thank you. Yeah. For Kitty Softpaws and Puss, they are still obstacles. Right. Just because they're not a- obstacles for Perito doesn't mean they're not... They're not obstacles. Yeah. So, like, the first one is, I, I just went back and looked them up. It's a uh, pocket full of posies, river of relaxation, and fields of quick and easy solutions for Perito. Yeah. And the first one is the pocket full of posies, where if you just smell the flowers, you can get by them. But if you fight the flowers, like try to chop them out of your way, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and become an impassable wall. Yeah, the, those flowers were a little gruesome when Horner and his crew got to them. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually um, pretty intimidating obstacles if you didn't know all you had to do was sniff them to get by. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wanted to point out that the way that it presents uh, the map, just building on what you had said earlier, is almost directly out of scripture. We we already know Romans 8.28, all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we know that nothing we encounter, even death itself... Mm-hmm. is 
going to be bad for us in the long run. But we also have to remember that we are expected to let God guide our path. And in Psalm 25, 4 and 5, it says, Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Mm, yeah. And and that's pretty much what this map was. I honestly, I can't help but to wonder if the story writers for some of the Shrek stuff may not be believers. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't work for Disney, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a mark in the plus column for the possibility of being believers. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to be a believer and get hired into Disney, it, which is not true. I don't mean to disrespect any believers who work for Disney, please. It's just they wouldn't be able to get their beliefs into a movie. Yes, it, it wouldn't pass muster. Yeah, so I, I was just thinking that, you know, Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs 3 would probably fit really well there, too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding and all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight. That's uh, one that we use a lot. (laughs) Yep. But that fits really well with that as well. Yeah. So the perspective matters. And I really kind of wanted to get into at least, you know, contrasting Puss and Perito a little bit because they are definitely completely different characters in that Puss has been building up this legend and he's extremely self-centered. In fact, when Perito befriends him, he's like pushing Perito away as much as possible. He's like, he doesn't want a best friend. He doesn't mm-hmm. want a therapy dog. He's completely just being annoyed by this little dog that won't leave him alone. And Perito's outlook on life is just so rosy and positive and is, they're just complete opposites and it's just fun to contrast them. So, of course, we know that being self-centered is not the way we are supposed to walk as Christians. And so there are Mm. a couple verses that I pulled out for that. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And then in Proverbs 18, 1, it says, one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. I think that's actually a perfect verse for poor Puss in Boots. He has completely isolated himself. He's made himself into a legend and that he is the legend. It's like he he exists to be the legend and there is no other purpose. And because of that, he's basically thrown away his life. And of course, those of us who own cats know that cats really don't have nine lives. It's it's a fun little motif that we've, that is applied to the mm-hmm. fact that cats tend to get into a lot of mischief and trouble and somehow manage to squeak by without getting hurt a lot of times, but it's not always the case. And they do only have one life. Just like people, you only have one life. And if you use it incorrectly, then you've wasted it. And we've seen that all of the ways that Puss has lost a life in, in his eight lives previous were all frivolous. There wasn't a single one of them where he gave his life for a meaningful thing. And so he is very self-centered and he doesn't care about what anybody else, even just his wish is all because he's afraid and he wants what he had back. And he's still not thinking about the purpose and meaning and, and how he lives his life. And then you look at Perito, who 
at one point in in the movie he they ask him his story and he and he said oh it was kind of a funny story and he goes off about all this abuse you know like they kept trying to throw him oh. away and uh eventually they they tied him up it in was a sock. all hide and seek yeah it was all hide and seek and eventually they tied him up in a sock and threw him in a river and he came out of it going you know and uh, I never did find him again, so I guess we're still playing hide-and-seek, he says, but at least I got a sweater out of it, because he's wearing the sock that he got tossed in the river. So it's just like everything is just like, he always has like a positive spin at looking at all the abuse that's gone out in his life. And I got to think, it's like, we've talked about this before, because we did the very first movie that you and I reviewed together was the In Pursuit of Happiness which mm-hmm. I think the vast majority of our discussion was all about how attitude and that happiness is not based on your circumstances. It's your attitude and what you bring to your circumstances. So, of course, the the verse that I always go back to on that is uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm using a lot of Philippians in this discussion. <laughs> I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And when you see that that comment, which is actually, I think, when they are first talking about looking for the wish with the map, Parito says, I already have a comfy sweater and two best friends. I got everything I could wish for. No magic required. So he's just like, he doesn't look at what he's lacking. He only looks at what he has and he's content with that. And and he's happy about it. And that is just, uh, it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's the way, you know, we, we live in a culture now that just everybody is so sensitive and so hyper aware of every wrong that is done to them, every slight, they they turn themselves into victims, sometimes when they really aren't victims, just because they're looking for how they have been victimized. And so then they dwell on that, and it makes them mm-hmm. depressed and unhappy. And to have this character that comes in and has actually literally been abused, and yeah. he thinks is the best thing in the world, you know, um, he takes- not saying that abuse is good. He takes what was his victimization, and he just turns it into a a level of contentment. Yeah. Of course, at least part of that is out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. He delivers very dark lines with such joy. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's interesting because later on, you know, Kitty softballs. I I didn't actually write up anything on her, but... Her wish was that she wanted somebody that she could trust because she had been, I guess, betrayed so often in her life that mm-hmm. she doesn't just doesn't trust anybody anymore. And she actually turns Perito's story backwards on him. And when she's talking about her own need for trust, in, in which she said something like, you know what trust gets you? It gets you a, a sock in a river, you know? Mm-hmm. And his response to her was like, well, you got to trust somebody. So it's just, you know, his level of contentment isn't so much his circumstances. It's that he's just, I mean, and he he literally met Puss because he was sneaking in, pretending to be a cat into Mama Luna's so that he could get at food because he was starving. 
living under the porch. So mm. this upbeat character is just so refreshing, and I'm so glad he's in there. And uh, I, I think the movie should sit around him instead of Puss, because he's just such a sweet character. <laughs> you know there's going to be a, a spinoff of shorts like, like they did with Groot. Yeah, probably. Of just Perito fumbling through life, completely naive and ignorant of, of all the bad things going on. Uh, I don't think, I don't like the word ignorant. I think naive fits, but mm-hmm. he's lived a life of hard knocks, and he's refused to let it turn him sour. And I don't think that that's ignorance. I think that's just contentment. I mean, it's like he, he has what he needs, and he mm-hmm. doesn't. He just doesn't let the bad stuff tarnish, you know, his joy of life. And and I think that as Christians, we can have that attitude, too, because we have a greater joy in knowing Christ and in the eternity that was promised. So we can let the hard knocks of life roll off us like water off a duck's back. And it doesn't mean that we are ignorant of the bad things. Right. It just means yeah. that we choose not to let those tarnish contentment in what God has given us. Yeah. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. That is the promise that allows Christians to have that sunny outlook on life. And that, of course, is pointing to not actual money, but the lust for money. Right. Yeah. The desire and that money can be anything. It doesn't say, yeah, it doesn't say keep your life free from money. It says keep your life free from the love yeah. of money making that success and that need for things to to become an idol in your life where you put that above living for Christ and following his path and his will for you and, and that takes us back to the concept of paths because it's it's something that anything that that turns you onto a path that is separate from the path that God has intended for you is an idol that can destroy your satisfaction in life i liked perito <laughs> I, I could watch the movie again just for him because he's just such a cute little thing. And despite the somewhat maybe inappropriate scene with him early on in the movie, I think he's just the, the sunny epitome of what we should be in with a Christian walk, having that joy inside of us through the indwelling of the spirit that we can just go through life seeing every negative as a positive, just like Paul said, you know, that, that he counted it all as gain. Mm-hmm regardless of what it was, good or bad. And that's what it is. That's that's what yeah. living a Christian life in contentment is. And then I do want to touch on one of the other characters who holds the map. But before we get to that, I do want to remind you that you can connect with us anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, you can find us pretty much anywhere. If you are Getting your podcast somewhere and you don't find us there, please let us know and we will make sure that we get on that stream because we want to be available wherever you get your podcasts. We also want you to join our Facebook group, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community. And we definitely want you to join our Discord community, which you can get to by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Discord. And that will get you an invitation to our server once you join you will need to agree to the rules and then go and assign yourself roles at Get Roles. It hopefully will make sense when you actually get in the server. We want people to get involved there. Discord has now introduced a forum option so we can have ongoing forums. 
And we just love to be able to just have, you know, just occasionally say, hey, I'm I'm in Discord right now. Whoever's there, you want to get in a jump in the voice chat and chat about movies or whatever. Um, what what are you watching right now? So we'd love to see more people involved in Discord and, and uh, making that an actual community where we can get to know each other and talk about movies and Jesus and how they relate. <laughs> All right. The next theme, and it's kind of a carryover from the previous theme, is family. Mm-hmm. There's actually a very strong theme of family that goes through this movie. And most of it has to do with the Three Bears crime syndicate, which is Goldilocks and the Three Bears. When they first showed up on screen, I just died laughing because she's like <laughs> she's like the epitome of the... What is that accent? It's like a, the British... Like, I don't know whether it's... it's Cockney? Yeah, Cockney, or... I was kind of, like, thinking, like, the street dialect. You know, it's not like the... like My Fair Lady. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So she's, like, the epitome of, like, the the low part of, like, the other side of the tracks, you know, in in London. And then she's... She takes that story of the Goldilocks and the three bears, you know, it's too hot, or it's too cold, or it's too hard, or it's too soft... Mm. And she's always looking for the just right. They're all three of them are always looking for the just right. And it plays into everything they do. And it's absolutely hilarious the way they wrote that script. Because I'm just like, mm-hmm. every time they would say, that was too hard. That was too soft. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. But anyway, her wish is that she wants a real family. And it's devastatingly, painfully rude that she is like, Carrying around along with these three bears, they've literally adopted her into their family, and they are following her all over the country after mm. what she wants to do. And they're basically catering to her every need, and all she can wish for is a real family. And when she finally admitted to Mama Bear that that was her wish, I thought Mama Bear was just so sweet and like, yeah, you know, about it. And, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to get you your wish, you know. But Perito, of course, the best character in the movie, had a very <laughs> nice comment. Don't hold back. Oh, yeah. He had the best comment because he's basically an orphan. And, you know, he was thrown away by his family, thrown away by, the I guess, the people who had him as a puppy. He said to Goldie, he says, oh, I wish I had a family like this. Speaking from one orphan to another, Goldie, you won the orphan lottery. Yeah. And she did. She had an ideal family. They were just bears, you know, and she yep. she was wishing for something else. It's like and then when she got a hold of the map, the map literally told her that what she was looking for was right in front of her. Cuz by the time she got a hold of the map, it was like on the second part of the cuz there's like three obstacles and she was like on mm-hmm. the second obstacle. And it was the cabin where she first met the bears. They went basically through the the whole story, the, yeah. the nursery rhyme of Goldilocks and the three bears. And it was, I think, like the, the cabin of reminiscence or something like that. And the map literally told her, what you seek is right in front of you. And it took her all the way until basically her almost making the wrong wish before she realized that the the family she had was the family she needed. She didn't need another family. And it was just such a beautiful picture of what adoption is. And I mm-hmm. thought that 
adoption is, you know, the family that chooses you. I mean, God chooses your family when you're born into a family, but a family chooses you when they adopt you. And it's just such a beautiful picture of what happens when we are adopted into the kingdom of God. And it's it's just beautiful. Yeah. I'll never get tired of adoption stories. Yeah. Adoption stories and redemption stories. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, they're kind of presented as bad guys in this movie. They, but They start out that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they start out as bad guys, but they're not really bad guys. And they're kind of like treading the the line, I guess you say, between bad and good. And it's all because of Goldie's wish, which they don't even know, because she keeps telling them, oh, we're going to be the best crime family ever, yeah. and we're going to be rich, and all of this stuff. And when she finally confesses to Mama what her real wish is, it was basically to abandon them. And that was pretty sad to think that... She- and, you know, I think a lot of orphans kind of go through that stage when they're raised in, a- in adoptive families where they wish they knew what they came from. You know, like they want to yeah. look look for their real parents or whatever. If if their if their real parents only knew how they turned out, they'd take them right back. Mhm. And sometimes they don't understand the hurt that they're exposing themselves to. Yeah. By looking into the past when they have they are with a family who absolutely loves them. But anyway, in Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, it says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So, yeah, I think that any time we can talk about adoption, it's good to remember that we are, through Christ, adopted into eternity, basically, God's family. Yep. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Even though we're not bears. <laughs> yeah, we're not bears. <laughs> All right, before we get to, I would say, the biggest theme, I do want to remind you that you can share your feedback. You can go and comment on our show notes, which will be at, for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 136. You can call us at 513-818-2959, send a text or leave a voicemail. And I really highly encourage you to go ahead and, you know, send us a text. Whenever you've listened to one of our episodes, just go ahead and shoot us off a text real quick and say, hey, I really enjoyed this about this episode. That kind of feedback is very valuable to us. And it helps us keep our Google Voice line active. If we don't get regular texts or voicemails uh, on that line, it it expires and we have to work to keep that number. You can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. If you want to review, do like you saw a movie and you want to record a quick little review of it, send that to us on our email and we can actually include that in future episodes. We'd love to hear what you are thinking critically about when you watch your TV and movies and whatnot. Please share your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So the last topic, the last theme that we want to discuss is actually, as I mentioned earlier in my initial impressions, very near and dear to my heart. Death comes to you all. But death comes for us all. Right. And it's such a common storyline, such a common plot line. But it's so universal <laughs> that it <laughs> it applies, you know, every time they do it. There are different ways to think about it. And I, I love 
that they use the whole nine lives of a cat thing, a la T.S. Eliot and uh, Opossum's books of practical cats. <laughs> and the the way that death is presented in here... Bounty hunter. Yeah, is like a bounty hunter that no one has ever escaped from. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. And, you know, they kept it not really on the down low. It was obvious, you know, to the adults watching that this guy was probably not just a bounty hunter. He was a, the Grim Reaper from the moment he stepped into the bar. Yeah. I mean, he's the classic Grim Reaper. That's not yeah, he, even carrying two hand sides. Yeah. It's not the biblical perspective of death, but it's the classic perspective of the yeah. Grim Reaper. Yeah. Do you remember the series Touched by an Angel with Roma Downey? Yeah. <laughs> I liked that was the first time I had encountered an idea of the death. angel of death yeah. being a good thing and not a bad thing. Yeah. And that's always stuck with me. And I liked that. They didn't really use that here as much as by the end of the movie, Puss has come to the realization death is not something to be avoided forever. Right. And it's clear, based on everything he goes through in the movie, that he just figured, I've always got another life. I've always got another life. But he comes to the realization that the other lives that he have aren't going to be worth anything unless unless it's serving a purpose. Right, that he fills them with the things that are more important than just himself and his legend. That's like the the biggest character arc. I mean, mo a lot of the characters had character arcs because mm -hmm. Goldilocks had, you know, a revelation that brought her back to her family and... Kitty Softpaws had, you know, a bit of a change, but Puss's change was really big because he went from abject terror of dying. And that mm -hmm. was what the Grim Reaper shows up in the bar when he's sitting there contemplating the fact that he only has one life left to live. It wasn't necessarily that the Grim Reaper was showing up to take him because he hadn't, it wasn't going to just like kill him, but he he showed up because Puss was afraid of him. And right. exactly. And every time that Puss became face to face with the fact that he could die and, and it would be his ultimate death, then the Grim Reaper would show up and scare him again. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily that death was showing up to take him. It was that his fear of dying was personified and he had yeah, to deal with that fear. It was intensified so much because he hadn't kept count of his nine lives. Yeah, that's like four, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then they walk through the different deaths and funny little cutscenes. Yeah. I like it that how at the end, he's in the final battle with death and these eight crystals pop out of the ground and each crystal is a, is an, a talking, moving manifestation of his... Eight previous lives. Vices. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the vices that led to his other deaths. And as he is running away from death, they are getting shattered. And, and uh, the symbolism of his running away and, and the shattering of these previous vices and then coming out the other end with the realization that one life with you, Kitty, is 
um, is all I could ever wish for, I think is yeah. what he said. I just have to say this because it was one of the funnier lines that in the movie is like, he's having this discussion with his previous lives. And, and he's like, you know what? You guys are jerks, which is very conflicting for me. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious because, you know, this one-on-one with himself, he's realizing that he was not a very nice person. Yeah. Or Kitty, as the case may be. And, um, <laughs> and then when he tells Kitty that death is after me, she misinterprets that by saying, <laughs> I've been called a lot of things, but never death. I like it. <laughs> And then it, at the end, she's like, I always thought you were talking metaphorically. <laughs> no, death was literally after you. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a lot of funny lines that came from that. But yeah, which the crystals with his previous life was the third obstacle before he got to the star. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. When he got on the star and actually was fighting, he could have made the wish for his lives. He cut, He has this long fight. And he's no longer afraid of death. And finally, death says, you're ruining this for me. I came here for an arrogant little legend who thought he was immortal, but I don't see him anymore. Live your life, Puss in Boots. Live it well. So, you know, death can't win the fight because Mm -hmm. Puss is no longer afraid of him. The fear of death is what gives it the power in this presentation. Right. Yeah. And and he said... power over Puss is lost because... Puss is no longer scared of him. In fact, every time you, he shows up, he always says, I love the smell of fear. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's I what, miss that. yeah, yeah, that he was being attracted by Puss's actual fear of death. And that was what was bringing him on the scene. But yeah, I, I think that everybody got their wish. It was just not in the way. Well, everybody but Jack Horner got their wish. <laughs> Let me take that back. They had to fight Jack now to get his wish because he was a pure bad guy, monster, and yep. nobody wanted. They tore the wish apart to keep him from having it. So, I did want to stress that, uh, as I mentioned, my mother had been visiting, and and she's uh, physically a shell of what she used to be, and ravaged by illnesses, and she's ready to welcome death because she she's a believer. Right. And she knows that death is not the end for us. And, and we all have doubts. Right. I am sure that if I were laying in a hospital bed with a terminal diagnosis, that I would have fear. Absolutely. Because, you know, we're, we're humans. I think that I fear, I fear the process of death more than I fear death itself. It's like, yeah, I, I want to yeah, get yeah. to the other side of it really quick. You know, it's like, don't make me suffer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it, part of my fear is, uh, it, and I hope it's not uncommon, is that I'm going to get to heaven and Christ is going to say, who are you? I never knew you. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to be one of the people who didn't accept the invitation. But cast demons out in his name, you know? Mm-hmm. But I have so many assurances. It's just my fallen doubt. my The flesh. Yeah. Yeah, the flesh that, that makes me doubt. The stark contrast between the fear of death and the freedom from the fear of death as portrayed in Puss in Boots' Last Wish just struck me as so 
symbolic of how Christians face death. Yeah. You think back to Fox's books of martyrs and all the people who have uh, died willingly for their faith. Right. So many stories that give you goosebumps as you read them and you're like, wow, I, I'm worried about praying in front of my McDonald's meal. <laughs> and and yeah. here we have people who who kneeled down in front of hungry lions. So it, I thought that death comes for us all and the freedom from the fear of death were were really the main themes of this movie for me. Yeah. And we have so much scripture that speaks yeah. to it. Well, before we get into the scripture, I do want to point out there there is a, a line in at the beginning of the movie when death first appears where he says, everyone thinks they'll be the one to defeat me, but no one's escaped me yet. And I mm -hmm. was thinking that from a Christian standpoint, that's not true. Because there is one, one. <laughs> one yeah. who has escaped death, and that is Christ. And the reason that he escaped death was because he defeated it on our behalf. Because if we go back and scripturally go from the beginning, the reason for death is sin. And that is why death is inevitable is because it is a penalty for sin and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we go mm -hmm. to Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we kind of start our way down the Roman road with that. It's like we have all yeah. sinned. We've all fallen short. The wages of that sin is death. And that is why death is inevitable. It's why it's a fact of life. Everybody who is born will die a physical death mm -hmm. until the Lord returns. And then it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty five through 26, it says, For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be abolished is death. So Jesus will reign, and when he comes back and he gathers his own to him and casts all of those who are not his into the lake of fire, then he will put death to death, basically, and death will exist no mm -hmm. more. So the other thing that comes to mind is that we have one life to live, and Puss mm -hmm. has nine lives, and he's abused eight of them. Yeah, yes. Now he has to make the last one count, basically. But that reminded me as we were going through, you know, that we only have one life to live and Christ has only died once and we are only going to die once and then there's going to be the judgment. And that comes from Hebrews nine twenty six through 28. It says, otherwise mm -hmm. he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So there's this progression of, we only have one life to live. Christ only came once and died for us once. This is actually verses that are used to support the idea that you can't lose your salvation, mm -hmm. because Christ then would have to have died again for you to be saved again. So he only died once. And then he was resurrected in defeat of death and sin. And therefore, we live sinful lives. We are saved once and we can't lose that salvation. So that is the verses that are used to support that. But that is important because not only is Puss's fear of death so driven by the fact that he's wasted his life, 
or lives, as the case may be. Yeah. I think that that also comes for Christians. I mean, you can be saved on your deathbed. You can waste your entire life and be saved on your deathbed and still go to heaven. But it's so much better to live your life in purpose and in meaning in, in that you are following the will of God and doing his will and having that hope and peace and contentment that we were talking about earlier because we have eternal perspective. And it's a good reminder looking at Puss, don't waste your life. You only have one. So at the end of the movie, when Puss has realized that death has no power over him because he no longer fears death, it made me think of when Paul was talking to the Philippians in Philippians 1, 21 through 26, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, the members of the Church of Philippi. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So Paul he, in, in other places, I, I don't remember where, he talks about the thorn in his flesh. Mm-hmm. But he very clearly is having a difficult time physically. And he's spending literally all his time on the road. His family is long in the past, and his life as a Pharisee is left behind on the Damascus Road. And he has come to realize that death is not the end. It's actually the reward. It's the finish line. Yeah. And he's longing for it. Yeah. If you've ever run a long race, I ran track and cross country in high school. And, you know, you get to the end and you just want to fall face first onto the ground and kiss it because you're done (laughs) running. Yeah. And that's the way Paul feels. and, And that's sort of the way that Push feels at the end of this movie he realizes that he's been running from the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. His running from death has prevented him from understanding, you know, the actual value of, of what's in front of him. And it's interesting because he wasn't up until up until his ninth life, he wasn't running from death. He was running from relationships. He was running from love. Mm-hmm. He was running from commitment. He was running from all these other things that make life worth living Instead, he was just building up his legend and as being un- unafraid of death, you know, that nothing, he's not afraid of anything. And then he reaches his nine life, realizing he, he doesn't really realize that he's been living for the wrong things. All he knows is that now his life is empty and he's seeing the end in front of him. Yeah. Every time he sees death, death says, your, your lives passing before your eyes. It's like he's he's reviewing what has gone before and none of it matters. He's lost. He simply is lost because he when the the doctor slash barber slash vet slash <laughs> I forget about him. <laughs> yeah, what all what all he was told him that he needed to find somebody and retire, you know, to spend mm-hmm. uh, find somebody, you know, to live with and retire. Which is how he ended up at Mama Luna's Mama house. Luna's, yeah, he didn't have anybody. He didn't have anybody to turn to because everybody loved the legend, but nobody loved Puss because he'd mm-hmm. made no room in his life for anybody but himself in his legend. 
And so, you know, facing death when you haven't lived a life worth living, you know, I can understand that fear. It's like, what have I done? You know, I've come to the end and I have nothing to show for it. And that is sort of it. It's, I mean, we see that in secular world all the time. We have presidents who leave office and they're worried about the legacy they're leaving behind. Richard Nixon. Yeah. Did a whole bunch of really good things for the country. But what does everybody remember him for? (laughs) Watergate. Yeah. Yeah. It's that which gives you meaning. And in the case of the Christian worldview, it's idolatry. Right. I found the quote from Perito that I wanted. He said, uh, you know, I've only ever had one life, but sharing it with you and Kitty has made it pretty special. Maybe one life is enough. So, you know... From the mouths yeah. of babes. Yeah. <laughs> or little little chihuahuas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sweater-wearing chihuahuas. Sweater-wearing, sweater talking chihuahuas. So, of all the cats in Mama Luna's establishment, house, whatever. Yeah. Pussin was the only talking cat, and Perito was the only talking dog. So, it's like, okay. Yeah, that, that raises a whole bunch of other <laughs> questions that I don't want to get into. Because my, yeah. my brain will melt. <laughs> Okay. Well, there's one last little thing that I wanted to talk about. And we are actually recording this on the Sanctity of Life Sunday. We hope to get this out by the following Sunday, before the end of the month. So you probably will listen to this next week. But when we were recording this, this was Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is a day that was established by the religious right here in the United States to combat the concept of what Roe v. Wade stood for, the the abortion and, you know, just the atrocity of not believing that human life was worth preserving in whatever form it was, yeah. you know, as, as a... That human life is subservient to women's rights. Or any other, you know, thing. I mean, we're, we're yeah. getting to the point now where euthanasia is not just a, an abortion issue anymore, it's a end-of-life issue as well. And This is something that we discussed in our episode in December as well. It's it's something that, as Christians, we simply cannot stop battling for. I had to listen to a sermon online this morning because my church canceled for snow, but Mm. the sermon that I listened to was all about the the reason why Christians battle so hard and why the fight is just beginning, even though the Supreme Court has knocked down Roe v. Wade. It's sent it back to the states. And so now it's a state battle and every state in the union is to preserve the sanctity of life in each of our states. And so the battle is just beginning. We haven't won the fight. We've just, you know, won a battle that has made it even more necessary Mm -hmm. that we fight on a local basis for the sanctity of life. And so there is a line in this movie, Jack Horner, we haven't spoken much about him, but he is the real villain of the movie, not death, but Jack Horner. Mm. He wants uh, the wish to give him ultimate power over magical power over all of the the world, basically. He wants to be the only source of magic. And because he doesn't have magic, and so he thinks that magic is the ultimate thing to reach for. And in so doing, in, in this fight to get the last wish, he proves himself to be an, a complete monster because he values nobody's life but his own. And he literally kills all of the people who support him on the 
the trip all the way to the end. He's by himself when he's standing on the star, even though he took a whole bunch of people with him. They get killed all along the, the way. The Baker's Dozen. Yeah. The Baker's Dozen, yeah. He doesn't care about a single one of them. And he has Mary Poppins' bag, the bottomless bag, and he put all of his magical items that he'd collected in that bag so that he would have things to pull out and use to help him on his trip. And one of the things he pulls out is the, is it Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio, the cricket? Yeah, it is a Jiminy Cricket character. character. Yeah. Because, I mean, cricket existed before Disney, obviously. Yeah. It's the, the cricket that sits on his shoulder and is his conscience. And after trying to be his conscience for, you know, several scenes, eventually the, the cricket goes, you're a monster. <laughs> He says, you know, I'm starting to think you don't appreciate the value of life. And it's like, he doesn't. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that doesn't appreciate the value of life. And I think that, you know, your your point that maybe there were some Christians involved in the making of this movie, because there's so many Christian themes in this. Yeah. And, and presented in such subterfuge, you know, it's like, there's value of <laughs> life in here. There's, you don't need to fear death in here. There's just all of these, you know, that there's, con- that it's better to live life in contentment, regardless of your circumstances. It's just, there's so much in this movie that speaks to the Christian life. And, you know, the value of life is so important. So I just wanted to... I could go through the entire Bible and pick out verse after verse after verse having to do, you know, with the fact that we're created in the image of God, that he knows us in our mother's womb before, you know, we're born. He's chosen us. He's chosen where we're going to be in eternity before we're even born. All of those things, they're all scriptural. They're all in the Bible. And you can find them on on pretty much any website talking about the value of life. But I just want to bring that up that even though half the characters in Puss in Boots are not human. The idea of valuing life is still biblical. Mm-hmm. We have to, as Christians, we have to value all human life. Even the people who are unsaved and are awful people, their their lives still have value. The, the children who are unborn in the womb, their lives have value. The elderly people who have health conditions, who would rather be in heaven already, their lives still yeah. have value. There isn't at any point in the stage of human life that we should not value people because they are image bearers and God created them and their lives have value. And that is, you know, just the value of living your life. It's not just valuing other people's lives, but the value of living life is in valuing other people's lives. I think that that came yeah, out of some of the absolutely. Other, other verses that we've already given in in this discussion is that the way you value life is by valuing other people above yourself. It's the selflessness of loving others more than you love yourself and, and putting your eyes on God and seeking that eternal perspective that gives you the contentedness to walk through life and follow the path that God has set for you. It's all in this movie. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a Christian movie, but it's all there. <laughs> We see a lot of movies that seem to inadvertently have Christian values. Mm -hmm. But really, most of those can be explained away by God's common grace and natural law Mm -hmm. just being perceived by members of a civilized society. Right. But this one, I think, (laughs) I think this one does go further. Yeah. It's definitely got an eternal perspective in it. Yeah. Eternity is never mentioned in this. It's like death is the ultimate in this movie, but it does present everything up to death as being important. You know, that, you know, valuing others more than yourself and 
living your life to the fullest so that you make every minute count and mm-hmm. not being afraid of death because you have contentment in, in the life that you are currently living. So it's the important things are there. The The most important thing, obviously, is not there and that you get to that eternal perspective through faith in Christ. And it's not of of anything of yourself, no works, so lest you could boast about it, like, like boasts about his legend. It's nothing we do. It's because Christ died on the cross for us. And he rose in defeat of death. And he stands and makes intercession in heaven when whenever we sin, he is speaking in intercession for us and God is seeing him instead of us. And it's funny because this today I was supposed to sing a song for church and because we didn't have church, I wasn't able to sing it. But it's a song that's based on an old hymn. And I think it's probably some good words to end our pot, our podcast episode in because it's called Before the Throne of God above. Mm. And and these are the words, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for mm. me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on mm. him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable. I am the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high with Christ, my Savior, and my God. And I think that's a good way to end yeah, this episode. I love that. Yeah, beautiful song. And with that, I do, I don't know what we're going to do in February, but it'll be on us before we know it. It'll be a short month. So hopefully we'll pull Gosh. something together fairly quick. We don't have enough days in January, let alone <laughs> February. Holy mackerel. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll do a commercials episode again. It's been a couple of years since we've done one of those. So anyway, if you have a suggestion for February, do let us know uh, in the many ways that we said that you could contact us and we'll just leave it at that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.